I'm Tony Tardio. Hello and welcome to Darren Hinch's That's Life podcast, a podcast where we talk about the big stories of the past, the big stories of today, through the prism of Hinch's six decades in the media. In this episode, the Battle of the Windsors. On one side, Prince Harry and his American wife, Meghan. On the other side, his royal family. Where does their explosive interview leave Australia and calls for Australia to become a republic? Mr Hinch, welcome to That's Life. Uh, Here we are again. The institution of the monarchy has been in the news uh, recently. (laughs) Australia is uh, still part of the uh, monarchy. The the interview between uh, Meghan Markle... Oprah Winfrey and Prince Harry in this most uh, beautiful location in Los Angeles. Uh, did you watch it? I did indeed. I watched most of it because I had to turn it off because I wanted to watch Four Corners and the Canberra Bubble. Uh, but I did watch most of it and I saw other bits of it later on. Um, I should I should preface this by saying uh, I'm a re- devout Republican, right? I'm a vowed Republican. I think Australia should have become a republic on our bicentennial in 1988. I remember Gough Whitlam saying to me once, years before that, it won't happen in my lifetime. He said, it's evolutionary, not revolutionary. It won't happen in my lifetime, but it'll happen in my son's lifetime. Well, Nicholas must be nearly 80 himself now, 70-something, so I don't know if it's going to happen then. But I watched it. Um, I thought I thought that Meghan Markle's most of it was, was believable. Um, I found some of it, bewildering because I think nobody would marry into the royal family and be surprised by what you're getting into. And I'm told, or we read, she had six months of coaching after she became a princess by the palace as to how you behave and what you do. Now, she couldn't have gone there with her eyes closed uh, at all. So I think that part was a bit stretched. Um, I don't doubt... Well, well, let me just butt in here then if I can. If that part's a bit stressed, then doesn't that cast a bit of a light on uh, what she's... A bit of doubt on the other stuff? On what, on what she's doing. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean I, she was not like Princess Diana. Diana was 19 and 20. She mm. was a young girl. Meghan Markle is 36, 37, so she's older, more worldly than Diana ever was mm. when she married Prince Charles. So, uh, as you say, some of the things she said you thought you know, are not believable. She claims she didn't Google Prince Harry when she first met him. Uh, now, what woman wouldn't do that to a partner to find out about him? Well, I'm, I, I'm, well, years ago we didn't have Google, but in recent years I wouldn't think of Googling a girlfriend or a partner. I've never do that. No? No. Well, he's a pretty well-known guy. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't you want to know what he's been up to in the years before oh. you met him? Maybe go on Facebook and have a look at the pictures, I suppose. But, I, but no, I didn't. You'd, surely you'd know, wouldn't she? We're her friends, and she doesn't live in. I mean, she doesn't live in a Hollywood well, bubble. I wouldn't think. She did say something like she was an American and she grew up in a family that were aware of the royal family, but didn't really know too much. Uh, oh, your mum didn't know if Princess died ever given an interview or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's that sort look, of let's stuff. Let's pick out some things that we'll talk about them individually. Um, I think that um, uh, Piers Morgan. Uh, his stuff about her mental health was was, was was shocking. I mean, you can't, you don't know what's going on in somebody else's head about mental. Is it fair enough for him though to say I don't believe her? Yes, it is. But, but and see, I don't believe that she 
could possibly have gone to somebody in the palace and it not been taken seriously. But to suddenly say, um, I wouldn't believe her if she read the weather report, you know, that's pretty savage. And apparently the background there, we'll get the other stuff, but the background there is that they were quite friendly years ago and the gossip is they actually went on a date and she uh, wasn't interested and then she met Harry and that since then Morgan, like like the person um, spurned, scorned. Has, scorned, has gone after her like crazy and he has many, somebody ran a list, I saw them, of the number of times he's torn into her, you know, uh, and... But the other thing about him, and I mean, I've known known of Morgan. I've met him a couple of times. I think he was he was he replaced Larry King for a while. He did this. He did that. Larry King described his program as like watching your mother-in-law driving over a cliff in your brand new Mercedes. <laughs> is that right? Well, the thing was, of course, where he lost it. I mean, he has savaged people, politicians, forever, and but he walked it, out. But now, isn't that? F- I mean. If it's his genuinely held view, and if we live in a world where we value freedom of speech, isn't that something? Yeah, he's yes, totally, to? totally, totally. But when he was challenged by another one of his compeers, he walked out. I mean, you stand and fight your ground. You say, "Well, this is what I believe." You may not believe this, Tony. You may totally believe something differently, but this is why I say this. Well, this is where I stand. He, he spat the dummy. Now, a person of his. He's a former newspaper editor. He's had a lot of television experience. For him to walk, I think, was uh, would look, look very, very bad. Um, on the other issues, now, and this is a weird one, the thing she said about how black would the baby be, how black would Archie be, how dark. Um, the, if that was said by a member of the royal family, I would have assumed it came from Prince Philip because Philip was the most... He's the worst interview I think I've probably ever... I didn't interview him in 1966, one of the most arrogant men I've ever met. Um, but Philip, if, if anybody's going to say that, you think it might have been him. Because remember once he said in Hong Kong to a British student, don't stay here too long, you'll get slanty eyes. You know, I mean, he was he was full of it. Um, but then, apparently, according to Oprah, Harry told her that it wasn't the Queen and it wasn't Prince Philip, which narrows the field considerably and brings it back to Charlie Boy. Well, in a way that disturbs me that Harry and that they would raise this issue and then they would say, no, it's not the Queen and yeah. it's not Prince Philip. By, by the way, that didn't come out during the original... No, it didn't. Interview. No, no. Now, now sh- Oprah sh- should have honed in, in my view. And said who? And said, you're having this conversation? As she reacted, wow. He, he, who but, is having this yeah, conversation? Yeah, but he, he said, I'm not going to tell you who it was. Well, then why did he... The didn't day, tell her... Well, because he, he wanted to exonerate his, his, his well, grandmother. why didn't he do that during the interview? Yeah, he could have, he could have. The, um, the thing was, they were both very... Well, especially Meghan was very affectionate about the Queen. You know, she was very... You know, saying how lovely she was and how she put a, cut, a blanket over her knees and stuff like that. So uh, there was no ill will there. When, when they criticise the institution of the monarchy and they make allegations of racism and make allegations mm. that she went to people and they didn't help her, the Queen is the head. Mm. So, so even though you might be saying nice things, you know, over oh, here, yeah. in the end, you're really criticising the Queen. True. And this is what Morgan went on about. He said, you know, you're trashing the monarch. Um, look, it's, I don't think, according to the polls, they, the polls have gone very badly against the Sussexes in, uh, in, 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 in Britain and England. Um, I always think when something like this blows up, what if England became a, 
a republic before we did. <laughs> Where did we go then? The royal family couldn't move, <laughs> move to here. Australia. Well, remember, there, there was a big push to get Charlie as um, Prince Charles as Governor General once. You know, which I thought would have been. A what do you think this will all do to uh, to the Australian push for? Uh, look, we'll republic. get there eventually. I mean, it, it's me. It's bizarre that in this day and age, that people who are just born somewhere suddenly become your queen or your king and that Charles will become King of Australia, you know. Um, for, for remember how many, for years, the Queen didn't even come here. And Princess Anne lobbied against us for the Olympic Games. You know, we, we know where their loyalties lie, you know. So it, it'll happen, but it, as, um, as uh, Rachel Hunter would say, it won't happen overnight, but it will happen. Uh, I, it maybe won't happen even in my lifetime, but it just seems strange that we don't have an Australian head of state. Now, whether we just... Call, call, to call the Governor General. Somebody wants to keep him calling the Governor General, calling the President. Um, well, now you're coming to what sort of republic the Republican organisation is now saying they will release a couple of um, roadmaps later this year, which is important because the last time John Howard is a clever politician, he hijacked it. And he said, but we didn't even talk about the Queen. He hijacked it and just virtually said, you don't want a politician's republic. And people said, no, we don't. Uh, and I, I like the comment from Prince Philip, allegedly, reportedly. After the result came out, he said, what's wrong with these people? <laughs> so, and I, I don't think the Queen would worry too much. I mean, if, if we became, we'd still say part of the Commonwealth, but we would be a republic with an Australian head of state. Now, with what form that would be, whether it's a, public, privately, a publicly elected person, I don't like the idea of a, of a Governor General being elected by the parliament. I don't, I don't like that either because. No. But uh, that's that's the way that, that raises that yeah. that that position uh, higher than I think it needs yeah, well, to also, be. Well, I didn't like the fact that you could put somebody like Bill Hayden in as a Governor General, and, but the, on the other hand, I do not like the the, the 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 continuing fashion of having military people like some Banana Republic as our governor governors general. You know, I I, I thought. Um, when ScoMo had the chance to put a new Governor-General in, rather than go for another military person, I thought he might have gone for, say, Julie Bishop. I think she would have made a good Governor-General and would well, have made a good ambassador to Washington. Well, what's different about Julie Bishop to Bill Hayden then? Because, uh, well, I don't know, that's a good good, good argument, um, but Bishop had so much experience. I mean, Well, Bill Hayden as well. Oh, yeah. You know, it's the thing is, if you're going to be political... Uh, either you be political yeah, or, or, yeah, that's or you're what I'm not. Saying, okay, so. you say a politician can't be governor general. That's right. Yeah. Well, so I don't you, see a problem with the, a politician becoming governor general after that. And that pretty much, I mean, all the when way you through. Retire, yeah. uh, I, I remember when I was young, Sir Roden Cutler was mm. the the governor general. Now, now he had been a Liberal uh, MP, hadn't he? Yeah, yeah, he had been governor of New South Wales from from memory. I I thought Quentin Bryce was a good governor general, uh, but I, she I, had Labor links. Yeah, but she so. she was never a member. Of, she uh, she was never a member of. Parliament or anything, I don't think. I'm pretty sure of that. Uh, my, her, her biggest uh, feat as Governor-General was when, when Obama came to visit, uh, Quentin Bryce met him at the airport, right, 
and then she raced ahead in her car and met him on the steps of Parliament House <laughs> wearing a different dress. She changed her dress in the com car on her way from the airport. Now that is an amazing <laughs> that was, Yeah, true story. He must she must have thought, what the hell's going yeah, on yeah, here? So is this the same person I met at the airport? He would have, I mean, it's, it's a ceremonial post. and uh, I mean, what, what makes a good Governor-General anyway? Someone who keeps their mouth shut, signs yeah. the legislation and doesn't get involved in the day-to-day uh, shenanigans of, uh, yeah. of, of politics. Yeah. I thought Bill Hayden was a decent governor oh, general. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, you know, John Kerr was probably the worst <laughs> governor yes. general we have ever had. What's interesting is that um, it took Australia, and it just shows you how long it'll probably take us to be a republic, because it, it took Australia a long time to have an Australian born governor general. No, that's right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, even Australian born was something. I know, I hope I can remember the story completely. Um, I was at Yarralumla once. It's a beautiful property, and, uh, and I was talking to Cos- Peter Cosgrove, then the uh, the Governor General, and uh, he was telling me a story about he said about a, a, a it's like a famous picture, and I pulled this gag many times. He said, um, and nobody ever gets it right. I showed him the picture, and it shows a Governor General, uh, a future Governor General, being knighted by Sir Zelman Cowan, who was then Governor General. I can't remember who he was who he was knighting anyway, but and and. Uh, Cosgrove said, I say to people, how many governors general are there in that photograph? Some say one because he's doing the knighting and some say two because they recognise the guy who's kneeling. The answer is three because uh, Peter Cosgrove was then the equerry to the governor general <laughs> and he's standing there with the sword on, 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 on a pillow waiting for the governor general to lift it off and knight somebody so he said there's a photo with three governors general in it tell me about Yarra Lumla what's it like oh it's, it's a beautiful I see the drive you know when the prime minister goes there yeah. to meet with the governor general yeah. to call an election it, it's, it's got huge huge there. grounds and beautiful outdoors uh, I've been inside um, a bit like the lodge I haven't been all the way through a bit like the lodge um it's not as big inside. In those days, rooms weren't that big. I mean, the lodge rooms are quite small for the Prime Minister. But a, a good, good Yarralumla story, according to the stories coming out from Palace Aids after the Meghan interview, is that when she and Harry visited Australia, they stayed at Government House. They stayed at, at Yarralumla. And according to the Royal Aids, they made this get out very quickly in London, um, Meghan complained because she thought it wasn't right, it wasn't befitting, that they should have other people staying where they were staying. Like the Governor-General, the Queen's right. rep, should move out. Should move out. And yeah, give the, piss I mean, off. And, and, and it's not like you're living in a bedroom, you have to come down with this chair the same kitchen. I mean, there's, there's separate wings and separate suites and things, you know. So, but apparently, well, that, that informs me a little bit more too when I hear a story like that. And I'm just thinking of Donald Trump when uh, he was asked about Meghan Markle and how she wasn't a supporter of Trump. And Trump said something like, uh, I, I don't really uh, support her either. And uh, can I just say, uh, Prince Harry, uh, what was his, his line? Um, uh, something like... Uh, uh, I don't think it's going to end well or something like oh. that is, uh, is what he said. That wasn't the line. I'm trying yeah, to think no. of it, but I, I can't remember exactly what he said. But um, uh, anyway, back to Prince Harry and, yep. uh, and, and, and Meghan Markle. When you say the things that they did, where they basically accused somebody within the royal family of being racist. Mm. Now, uh, as you said, 
it's it's been narrowed down to either Prince Charles, Prince William, or their wives. You you would think. Mm. How do they patch that up? Well, that's an interesting point because uh, I, Harry in the thing said. This we need space and eventually time. You hope heals everything, but I was thinking, trying to personalise it later on. If my brother Des gave a TV interview and accused some member of my family, our family, of such an awful racist comment, I would be on the phone to him that night, saying, "What the f is going on here?" Now, Harry um, uh, William says he hadn't spoken to him in a week. But I will eventually, you know, and we're not a racist family. The Queen says that she will ultimately talk to them. Gee, if that'll be my mother, and I'd say something like that, or mother-in-law, the phones would even ring in hot. The problem, though, is then trust has disappeared. So the she, phone call you then make might then appear in on, the media. On somewhere. page one of the Daily Mirror. That's, yeah, that's true. That's true. When trust is gone, I, I just, I just think well, it's just very difficult. They are meant to be to uh, William, it. William and Harry are meant to be getting together on July the first to unveil a, a, a statue of their mother, Princess Di. Uh, we've got a few months to get there to see what happens, but at the moment it ain't looking good, is it? The other I mean, thing would, would 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 Harry Harry come home for for Duke's funeral? Well, you'd think he'd have to. You'd think he would, yeah. Uh, and the reaction then from mm. the British public would be interesting. Yes. And, and another point I was going to make to you, having watched it, when Harry, because he was sort of came in near the end of the interview, but, and it was mainly about Meghan, but he said that he's uh, he got very disappointed when his father stopped returning his calls, stopped talking to him. Well, I would have thought, if every phone call I made to my dad was about money... <laughs> I might think, my father might think, oh, I'm not answering the phone this time around because he, he made the point about being cut off from funds and needing money and luckily well, he had a few million from Diana left to him. You know? Yeah, well, what I thought watching the interview was, you know, I, I was thinking of my life and my family's life and I was particularly thinking about my mother and, you know, there's Megan, dressed beautifully. She's been successful beautiful place where the interview is being held not everybody's life is like her life mm. and their life what are they complaining about do, do they really do they have grounds to be making a lot of complaint my mum finished school in grade three when we had the banana plantation in New South Wales she carried bunches of bananas on her shoulders because she had to mm. that work needed to be done when she went to the doctor, because she couldn't speak English, we as her children had to interpret for her. So I would have thought that's a pretty difficult life. If anybody needs to complain, it's people like my mm. mother, yeah. not Meghan Markle, yeah. not Prince Harry. Um, you know, the, uh, Very good point, very good point. The, 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 the shot of them with their chickens, you know, she said she likes to rescue chickens and... Re Everything she said was sort of aimed at uh, pushing particular buttons. The other thing is, you know, they, they, they want to have a green world and environmental stuff, but they jump on private, private planes jets and, and, and yeah. fly everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Apparently one of the fights they supposedly had was that she was gently told by the palace that she couldn't keep all the clothes that the, that the designers were sending to her, that that wasn't done, uh, and she thought that was... Why not? You know, and, and she's complaining about, oh, I was trapped. She was trapped in the palace. Um, I want to talk about television briefly, and I have a 
a vested interest because I do sunrise quite a lot, but there's been a big shift in breakfast television. I mean, you had the turmoil with Carl Stefanovic for several years at t- today across t- across town, but um, Sam Armitage announced on Monday or Tuesday she was leaving last week uh, and did, uh, and it's been announced now she's been replaced by uh, Natalie Natalie Barr. Now, interesting thing was a lot of gossip. I mean, Sam had had a lot of crap from the columnists for a lot many years, but I, I can tell you. Um, she left of her own accord. She she wasn't fired. She didn't say, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm resigning, when in fact, to follow other things, when she'd in fact been sacked. She hadn't been sacked. Um, I'm sure there were some people at, at Channel 7 who were not unhappy for her term to end. Uh, but the, I, I suspect... Why, my, why would that be? Oh, well, she's, she said some pretty rough... I mean, she had columns come after her, but she said some pretty rough things in recent weeks before we knew she was going, which she referred on... I think it was her podcast she referred to breakfast television people as um, sociopaths and narcissists, <laughs> you know, and... Who, who in particular? Now, I don't know who she's talking about because... And she, it couldn't be about people across town because she only works on one side of town. And she said that... And she'd also said in an earlier interview that she hinted that mothers in television got a better, easier run than single women, that they were treated, mothers with kids, you know, it was treated better because all the hard work was really given to single women. Well, somebody pointed out very acerbically from Channel 7 that Natalie Barr, the new host, has two children and Sam had a dog. Uh, and Natalie Barr's never turned down a job as I know of in the last 20 years. She's, uh, she's been to riots and, 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 and huge stories all over the world, presidential elections. And so they took that, some of them in, in seven took that pretty personally. But I, I, I do believe she, she left for once, she left the show's on top by about 70,000, 80,000 viewers a day. Uh, she left of her own accord. Look, she just got married to a, a rich husband named Rich and they've got a beautiful big spread somewhere in country Victoria, country New South Wales and I think she just wants to... I mean, she did eight years of this getting up at three o'clock in the morning. She did probably six or seven years of weekend sunrise before that. So, you know, I, I, I do believe she just... I want, to try, I want to do something different. Getting up at uh, that time of the day, three o'clock in the morning, yeah. it's a killer, isn't yeah. it? I mean, I remember when even doing 3AW, I got up at 5.17 every morning. It was 5.17 because I meant it to be 5.15 but I slipped past and I couldn't fix it. So for 10 years I got up at 5.17. And uh, you know, it, even now, as you get older, I, I find myself now getting up about 6.30 anyway. But back in those days, I could have slept till 8 or 9, you know. But you have to get up and your brain's got to be in yep. motion straight away. Then you go in there and then it, it's it's a grind because you're always having to find stuff. That's talk right. about and, and and radio or television, three and a half hours of it or four hours of it for some people. Um, it's it's a, it's it's it is a grind, and you. I mean, I I respect people now. People like even Mitchell and Crowd who you, you do it every day, and and you can't prepare for the next day because the afternoon show may knock it off. You know, so you have to. Virtually, you start the day at uh, five fifteen, five thirty with with a clean sheet, and you've got to have something to go with at eight thirty. Well, the constant at Channel Seven all the way through has been David Kosh. Yeah. Uh, so, so he's obviously getting up at the same time. Yeah. Maybe they don't put as much makeup on him. I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, after a lot, of, he's got a big lot of head to cover. <laughs> Speaking <yeah>. of hair, <laughs> um, uh, I couldn't understand why they got rid of Melissa Doyle in the, in the first place, and why they replaced her with Samantha. Well, well they look. They they do far more um, testing of audiences than you know. 
So I don't know that answer. It was quite a shock to a lot of people when Melissa went and then she did other stuff. They they convinced her that they had some other good stuff for her to do and for a while I think she hosted Sunday Night and Bits and Pieces and other series. Um, yeah, but he, um, so look, it, 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 it is hard getting up at that, that time of day. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, I, I'm, I don't get up till 7.30, 8 o'clock and sometimes I see you tweet stuff that you're going to be <laughs> or have been on, uh, you know, Sunrise. Uh, you do that from... Here they bring no, a camera in. Here no, 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 no. I go. I go to Docklands during during the worst time of COVID. I did it with a camera out in the street, or then I did Scope or Zoom, Skype or Zoom okay, so from you here. Just did it through your computer. Yeah. Here, so no one came into your. No, 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 your, no. But I used to have a cameraman downstairs, and then when it got really bad, we did it on. Uh, so at the moment you're going into channels, so you have to get up out of yeah. bed, get yourself organised. Yeah. So you're getting up early then, do yeah, you? getting dressed. Well, yeah. if you're doing, if you do, I'm on at six forty-five. So you're up at five, and then then you've got to get the. You, you, I don't know until I get out of bed and look at my turn my machine on, what the topics are going to be. They pick the topics, and so then you've got to research it. You know, grab some stuff. And well, you know, being a journo, you're always on top of stuff anyway. Well, you hope you're, you are. You're following stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, so usually the stories that they get you, you, you know exactly what what they're on about. You know, uh, so. Uh, and and the topics are political or sometimes they... sometimes they have a light one at the end of it, um, which is used to, it was the name of a show once, and people said what a strange name for a TV show, and it was called Drop the Dead Donkey. Okay, the show is called Drop the Dead Donkey, and the rule it comes from is it when most TV newscasts have a light story or an unusual story at the end, so you finish with a bit of a quirk, right, and during apparently the show was filmed in Britain and during as, as they're running out of time you know getting short of time the, the, the producer in the control room would say okay stick with so and so go with so and so but drop the dead donkey <laughs> <laughs> so that's what they call the show drop the dead donkey by the way have you ever seen that movie Anchorman uh, no I haven't I haven't very funny I'm told I'm, all, I, I know about it because for SBS I did I was involved in a spoof um, of Anchorman, and we had all, all TV people turned I've up. We seen had that. Yeah, Lynn Chin and a few other yeah, people. Yeah, and, and, and you know, journos beating, TV people beating each other with bricks and things or swords. So, yeah, so I know the show, I know what it's all about, and, but I, I haven't Will, seen Will it. Ferrell, the first time I ever watched that, I just couldn't stop laughing because, I mean, it's, it's, it's taking a lot of licence, but it's also a, bit, a fair bit of truth. Well, look at Frontline. They did that beautifully, didn't they? As they a, did. Very clever because... Frontline it, sort of changed... A current affairs television, I think. Because, yeah, a little uh, bit, well, because... And, all of the tricks that they used to and, do, they couldn't do anymore. No, and Eric, I think Eric... Did Eric Banner play Ray Martin? I think he did. Um, no, uh, no, it was... Because um, uh, they... Paul Sitch. Um, Rob Sitch. Rob Sitch played... Uh, oh, they had, had, a, uh, had this, this incredible black plastic <laughs> hair. This, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I just quickly want to go back to Piers Morgan, yeah. uh, if I can... Is he a guy you've ever had any contact with? Uh, not, not. I've, I've met him, but I, I'd be. He, he's had a. He's been lucky to get, get where he is because he was editor of the Murdoch paper when the Murdoch journalists were hacking phones and stealing diaries and uh, and you know they were and it was so bad they closed News of the World. Now I think at the time Morgan was editor of the Daily Mirror, I, or Sun, I think. Uh, anyway, uh, one of the Murdoch paper, and uh, he 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 escaped. He said he didn't know about it, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But but money was being paid to bribe coppers. Now as an when I was an ex editor, I would know if money's coming out of my budget to bribe coppers. 
it had to come past me at some stage, and you would know. You'd have to know because you say, "Where did this money go? What's what, what was this money for?" Uh-huh. He uh, he came out to Australia a couple of years ago uh, during the Ashes series, and oh was, yeah, yes, was, yes, was the series that the Australians were really giving it to the Poms. You know, the Poms that they weren't coping with the fast bowling and whatever, and, and he padded uh, up. Well, he he was having a go at the batsman saying they had no courage and no guts and I could do better than that and all that sort of stuff. So uh, during the test match, the Boxing Day test match, they, they put pads on him and he was in the nets there and Brett Lee was bowling at him very fast. It was dangerous. It was just before Phil Hughes was hit and killed. And uh, I remember uh, Ian Chappell said, oh, it was a dickhead thing to do and it's dangerous and whatever. Anyway, he um, the, the two came together, Chapel and Piers Morgan, and Piers Morgan put his hand out and said, uh, Piers Morgan, lovely to meet you. And Chapel said, nah, mate, you're a dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> just, just wandered off. Jeez. That was the, the extent but, of their uh, meeting. It was pretty brave when he was in the net, so I remember seeing it because he got hit a couple of times he in did. the chest, didn't he? Yeah. He, 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 he did. Um, the, the opinions that he stated when he was on television... Uh, uh, th- this is you were in your prime quite outspoken. Oh yeah, um, and I don't, I don't, I don't knock him for doing that. And he can have his opinion, and he can say he hated the Megan, the Megan interview, and she was, she was lying the whole way through. He's entitled to do that. But my big thing was that he he didn't have the guts to stand and, and, and well, defend his argument. The reason he quit was uh, they asked him to withdraw the comments he made yeah. about her mental not believing her mental health. And he wouldn't do it. He said, I'll, he I'll fall on my sword. But but that was after he'd walked off. Right. That was after he... you can't he'd... get sacked for walking off. No, no, but, but I'm saying to, to me as a viewer, yeah. when you're an outspoken person, you stay and you take it, you cop yeah, it. I understand that and I agree with you. But the point I'm making is why did he have to leave the program? Why was oh, because it he ref- no, apologise or no, he ref- no, no, he refused to apologise and said, I will fall on my sword, I stick by the comments, and he resigned. He but, wasn't but, fired. But they were his genuinely held yes, but beliefs. He, he wasn't fired, he resigned. Well, I, th- I think the, the thing was he either apologises mm. or he must go. Uh, is what I saw well, there, I mean, from there it. There were 45,000 complaints against him and from his comments. Oh, that's good but, television. <laughs> but big deal. Yeah. That's right. I agree. I agree. I, I just, the, the reason I'm bringing all this up is I worry about free speech uh, and people being able to say what they genuinely... Well, as long as it's not defamatory, you can, you know. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm of the generation that I find this new... Stuff, this new woke stuff about um, even the word woke, I loathe. But um, the fact that you can now change your your, your 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 pronoun from to they or them or I or he or she or you know, and you can't, you don't breastfeed anymore, you chest feed and uh, this sort of stuff. It's taken it too far. Well, uh, Darren, I'm <laughs> sure there's going to be a, a lot of changes um, in 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 the years ahead. Uh, whether the uh the royal family sustains and can go on generation after generation, I, I wonder. Yeah. Well, look, Keith, I'll just interrupt you. Um, remember when the Princess Di death happened and uh, the Queen and Prince Philip didn't even put the flag down to half-mast and they were up in Balmoral or somewhere? And it was Tony Blair, the PM, and this has been documented since, he went up there and in the nicest possible way virtually said, get your asses back to Buckingham Palace or you won't have a palace. 
because the feeling they'd misread the feeling and then you suddenly saw them walking around looking at all the flowers and things you yeah. know but he said something much much nicer put than that but uh, that you, you, this is a, this is a, cr- a major crisis for the royal family and this is a bit of a crisis yeah and and, and just quickly before we go the the the, the scene of Prince William and Prince Harry walking behind their mother's <laughs> coffin. Apparently they were made to do that. And even up until, you know, before they did it, it was uncertain whether Harry was going to. So he was under enormous pressure to mm. actually do that. Because that's what royals do. Yeah. Now, can you imagine anybody else <sighs> having to walk behind their mother and, and not cry yeah. or not show any emotion whatsoever? Yeah. That one lingers, doesn't it? Yeah. It is, um, it is it is slightly weird uh, behaviour, Darren. One other thing. Mm. In years to come, we might go through the internet and come across this podcast. If you were going to predict a year that Australia would become a republic, by what year? When do you reckon? We'll be long gone. Yeah. Well, I hope not. Cause I'm hoping twenty thirty. <laughs> Nine years from now, you know. Um, I as I said, we should have been a republic in 1988. It would have been the perfect time in the bicentennial to do it, but we didn't. Uh, so I know that... Um, well, by 2030, nine years from now, the Queen will be 103 if she's alive. Not many people make it past 103. Her mother made it to something like yeah. that. Yeah, well, she'll be 103, would she? Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So I, I guess... Well, that, and the I, I think point the, the, the argument point, the argument people are making that it won't happen while the Queen's alive is probably a fair one. But whether you want whether Australia will feel the same about about Charles and Camilla, I'm not so sure. But no, if, if, I think if a, if a Labor government got back in, it would be faster. Uh, but I can't see them winning the next election, so that's so there's two elections away. Um, but yeah, nine years would, would be fantastic. But I'm still hoping to be here. <laughs> Mr Hinch, we'll go back and have a listen to this podcast in years to come and see how accurate we were. We will. Thanks again for your time. Okay, mate.